The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode number 86 of the podcast. Today is Monday, April the 2nd, day after April Fool's Day, day after Easter Sunday. I hope everybody had a nice Easter out there for those of you who celebrate. Uh, If you're an MMA fan, it was not a good day for anybody because God damn it. I am so fucking disappointed. and. Before I go off on a complete tirade, let me introduce my co-host all the way from snowy New Jersey. Jeff, I'm going to do my best to give you an enthusiastic introduction. The Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing on this late Monday evening, my friend? I know you're just as disappointed as I am. Yeah, Bill, I don't, I don't know how to feel at this point. I mean, I was really debating ordering this pay-per-view i was thinking about even going to it in person and this happens Bill, yeah. if this is god's way of playing a prank on it i'm not amused yeah so in case you're living under a rock and uh this is the only place you get your mma news which i'm sure it's not and i'm sure everybody has heard by now tony ferguson was forced to pull out of the main event of USC, UFC 223 this coming Saturday at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, uh, due to a knee injury that he received while walking through the parking lot during or after a media engagement. He may or may not have been wearing sunglasses at nighttime. Uh, we don't know a whole lot of details as far as what happened to Tony Ferguson, but obviously what followed was a horrific avalanche of news reports and people wondering if this was the most expertly executed April Fool's Day prank of all time. Obviously, you and I have been trying to get each other. <laughs> like Every now and then, Jeff will text me, like, Khabib pulled out, and <laughs> my hands start sweating. <laughs> and I go and check. I go and check the news sites. I was looking forward to this fight so much. And I knew in the back of my head that, uh, you know, I was getting too excited about it. And there's still a strong chance that it wouldn't happen. But, man, not like this. With With the April Fools and then you're wondering and holding out. And we didn't do a show yesterday because I I just was drowning my sorrows in vodka and and scotch and and whatever else i get my hands on and i didn't want to come and do a show uh, you know screaming to the rafters that uh, how upset i was that this thing was canceled uh and then to find out today that it really was a big joke and it really would have been an awesome prank um so dana white released a video yesterday and he started off by saying this is not an April Fool's Day prank. 
but it, it looked like very thrown together. And I know it was with Brett Okamoto from ESPN, but uh, I, I guess they just had to do it last minute. Cause like what kind of film crew could you get on Easter Sunday and, and everything like that. So uh, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. There were just so many signs, Jeff, that this could have been a prank. And I really wanted to believe that it was, and we were going to finally get to see this fight, but nonetheless, uh, it's here we are. It's been canceled for the fourth time. And I know you and I were both watching tape for the last week and a half. I think I've watched every single Khabib and Tony Ferguson fight that they've each had in the UFC respectively. And I had pages of notes. Uh, I was really amped up for this one and I'm really fucking disappointed, Jeff. I wanted to, I wanted to take the high road and be professional about it. But then I thought like we do a podcast about fighting and alcohol. So how professional do I really have to be? I, I think I could be a little honest here. Uh, I'm really, really fucking upset about this. Um, and it sucks. So uh, let me get your reaction, Jeff, now that we've kind of recapped uh, what happened. And then uh, you heard a different story about what might have happened to Tony Ferguson's leg. Yeah, dude. So, you know, I'm really bummed out about it, too. I I had this this um, formula for how I was going to measure up each guy. I, I watched their last three opponents each. Uh, I was taking notes round by round, pausing it, uh, even going so far as to detail how Tony Ferguson was keeping himself from being taken down. And, oh man, it's all down the drain, basically. And Dana White has said that this fight is not getting rebooked for a fourth time, which yes. would be, you know, the fifth attempt. But, um, yeah, dude, it's, it's such a bummer. And I heard that Ferguson was walking down a hallway or something, and he saw someone that he didn't expect to see, so he turned really quickly and tripped over like a, an electrical cable or something and just messed up his knee. But, um, you know, I'm really disappointed because of all the videos of him kicking poles, uh, steel tubes or whatever, and the crazy training that he does. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's like, dude, I mean, at some point, something's got to give. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's always a concern with guys who overtrain so much. And you know, we see this a lot more often in other sports, these non-contact injuries where guys get really badly hurt just doing everyday things. And that's something that just comes with age too. Uh you know, once you hit your thirties, you'll find this out soon, Jeff. You'll you'll wake up and things will just be really painful for no reason at all. Uh <laughs> so the, the pace that Tony Ferguson keeps and the work ethic that he has is definitely one of his major strengths, but in the long run, the body can only take so much. Uh, you, you know, we all know he's one of the toughest men walking the planet, but you know, your body only knows how to stay together for as long as it can. So if you keep pushing it past its limits, these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. And hopefully it's not a terrible injury. It's not something that's going to keep him out of the running um, for a long time. And I know Dana White said that he's not going to rebook this for a fifth time, but I mean, if it comes down to one of these guys has the belt and the other one's a number one contender, uh, you got to put it together here. So, fuck, I'm disappointed, Jeff. And 
<laughs> you know me as well as anybody. I, I hate complaining. I hate when people complain too much. Uh, I, that's just not me. I like to look at the positive and everything, but holy shit. I'm so fucking disappointed by this. Uh, <laughs> I can usually, you know, let, let a lot of things roll off, but, uh, you know, you and I were both watching a lot of tape and we were both coming to the same conclusion that, uh, you know, Khabib has that X factor in that nobody has figured out how to beat him yet. He's undefeated in the UFC and in his MMA career. Nobody has solved the puzzle. Anybody, nobody's hardly won a round against him. Um, on paper, I don't know if anyone has won a round against Khabib, although uh, I would argue that some people should have, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. So we were we were both starting to kind of favor Tony Ferguson because it, all his fights seem to go the same way. He, he starts off slow. He gets rocked and knocked down in the first round, and I guess that allows him to shake the cobwebs loose. Uh, and then, you know, he starts getting loose, and he rolls with punches, and he just finds a way to win and him and Khabib have had a lot of common opponents and Tony has finished more of them than Khabib has. Now, I don't really know what that says and I don't want to get too far into it, but uh, the point is, Jeff, you and I were both wrong because Tony Ferguson lost because he didn't make it to the fight. <laughs> so um, we got to kind of as difficult as it is and as disappointed as I am and as you are, we got to look at the positive here. And the positive is that Max Holloway somehow found a way to get over his ankle injury that prevented him from fighting Frankie Edgar four weeks ago. And apparently he's healed up enough and confident that he can make 155 pounds and he's going to step in on six days notice. What a bad motherfucker is Max Holloway. I, I mean, how badass do you have to be to step up a weight class against one of the most dangerous, like scariest grapplers on the face of the earth on six days notice after just recovering from an injury that made you pull out of your last fight. And I heard a interview with Max Holloway's manager. I want to say his name is Brian Butler. And he they asked him what was Max's reaction when you called him with this fight, and he said, "Let's fucking go, bro. This is how legends are made." And <laughs> and I could just picture him saying that, and that just made me like so much more of a Max Holloway fan. Like, no hesitation. It's fucking Easter Sunday, so then they had to they had to get some paperwork or negotiation or whatever. And his manager called him back, and he said he was out of breath, and he was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm on a treadmill." <laughs> <laughs> he put down that he put down that Easter ham or like that pig roast they were doing in, <laughs> they were probably doing out in Hawaii and he got his ass on the treadmill. Um now Max Holloway, big, big fucking featherweight. Uh I, I've heard rumors that he gets up over 180 uh when he's not in camp. So getting down to 145 is impressive with a full fight camp. Uh Getting down to 155 would seem easier because that you have that 10-pound cushion. But remember, he doesn't get a full camp. He doesn't have that luxury here. So I think it's going to be a lot more difficult than people realize. You know, on paper, you think, oh, it's a weight class above. You know, he's probably walking around at like 160. 
Now, it, Max Holloway is a, a big motherfucker. He probably don't realize it because he's so lanky and, and you know, he fights at featherweight. But that's a big dude. Uh, he's probably carrying a lot of dense muscle. And, um, you know, he's lean, too. So that makes it that makes it harder to cut weight, I would imagine. So, Jeff, all the negativity aside, let's put it behind us. Let's look at what we have to look forward to here, and that is Max Holloway showing what a fucking warrior he is stepping up uh, to take this fight on six days' notice. What, what's your reaction to, to Holloway here? Bill, what, for one, I love Max Holloway for doing this. I, I don't think there's a lot of people who would you know, jump at the chance to, to do this, but there's a couple things on the line here. One, Holloway could be... Uh, another the second person to have two belts at the same time which would be awesome but you present an interesting problem here one he only has at this point five days to cut the weight maybe four because he has to wait on friday morning two uh man dude i don't know how much he's been training stuff like that and then three bill and this is my biggest issue here is he has to go from hawaii to new york that's like five four or five time zones. I I don't know if he could get over the jet lag in a few days. I mean, it usually takes people, what, three or four days to get over that. So Holloway is climbing a very tough mountain here. But, Bill, if he can pull this off, I, I, I think he probably goes down as top three all time. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think if he even gets in there and, and puts up a fight, uh, it, it's going to do so much for his legacy and you have to, you have to appreciate his attitude going into it. He, uh, before he officially accepted, he did call his nutritionist and they crunched some numbers and made sure that he was able to make the weight safely. So he did do it the smart way. Uh, you know, he, he said, let's make sure this is actually possible. Uh, he, he was training, he was recovering from the ankle injury, but supposedly he was back in the gym full time. So, uh, yeah, I, I gotta believe he's taking it, uh, you know, with, with all these things in mind and, and the flight is a good point that you bring up, uh, when you fly for a long time, it, it dehydrates you, which is going to make the weight cut even harder. I'm sure he took all these things into consideration and, you know, Max Holloway is a professional. I, I would be more worried about Khabib missing weight, <laughs> even though he's had a full camp than I am about Max Holloway. But I just don't want people getting in their head that this is going to be easy for him because he's going up a weight class. You know, he's coming off an injury and he's a big, big featherweight who has said multiple times that he plans to move up uh, weight classes, multiple weight classes uh, as his career develops. You know, he's still, still a young guy, but, um, don't think for a second this is going to be an easy weight cut for him. And I would also say don't think for a second this is going to be an easy fight for Khabib. Um, you know, he has manhandled virtually everybody he's gotten in there with, uh, with the exception of, I would say, Gleison Tebow, who I I feel like if Gleison Tebow had won a decision over Khabib in their fight, I don't think it would have been a robbery. Uh, he actually took Khabib down twice in that fight. Uh, which uh, showed that Khabib is actually really strong off of his back. He has submission skills, and he's got some really interesting sweeps. He locks up arms from the guard in a in very unorthodox ways that jujitsu players are not used to. 
And he obviously he grapples on top in ways that jujitsu players are not used to, which is why he was able to handle uh, guys like Rafael Dos Santos on the ground, who's a top tier Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So where I was going with this is uh, even though Khabib is able to manhandle so many opponents, uh, the most dangerous person is the one who has nothing to lose. And Max Holloway stepping up on six days notice. Uh, his biggest hurdle is going to be making the weight. And after that, he, you know, if he loses the fight, big deal. He's going up a weight class and he's fighting for a title on six days notice after coming off a major injury. Uh, it doesn't do much to hurt his reputation there. He's still going to be the featherweight champion. So he has that to fall back on. Uh, that takes a lot of pressure off. And guys who are put in these kinds of situations tend to excel. For example, Michael Bisping, when he came off the bench and knocked out Luke Rockhold uh, for the middleweight championship. And, you know, sometimes not having that fight camp is good for a guy's mentality because they don't have time to get stressed out or to worry about the fight. Max Holloway just has to pack his shit, get on a plane, get to New York, and worry about cutting weight. Uh, he can't even think about the pressure of the the championship or anything like that. And that's a huge, huge advantage. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think Khabib is one to cave under pressure, but if the pressure's on anyone, it's going to be on Khabib because he is the bigger man. He's the one who was the top contender in this division. And you have a lighter guy coming up to face you on a couple of days notice. So you're expected to smash him. Uh, now for some people that might be pressure, I don't think, uh, Khabib will cave into that pressure, but, uh, that is an advantage that Max Holloway has in his corner. Another thing Max Holloway has is lights out takedown defense. Now Khabib is a very different wrestler than, uh, anyone Max Holloway has faced before, but Max Holloway's takedown defense is pretty spectacular. He's also long and rangy, very similar to Tony Ferguson. He's great at switching stances. He's great at using his length probably better than Tony Ferguson is at, at using length. Uh, and Max Holloway is a very, very competent grappler. Uh, you know, he submitted uh, Jose Aldo, who uh, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Now, being a very competent grappler uh, may, mean, may mean nothing uh, if this fight goes to the ground um, with Khabib on top of you. Uh, but... The other side of the coin is Khabib striking has gotten a lot better. He basically outstruck Edson Barbosa, who's one of the best strikers in the division. Uh, th there's a lot to get excited about here, Jeff. Uh, and the more I I'm just kind of winging this here off the top of my head and, and things that I've been thinking about since this was announced yesterday, uh, I didn't have a chance to really put the time and preparation into this because I was so focused on Tony Ferguson, but uh, I, the, the point I'm getting to is you can't count Max Holloway out. He's got a lot going for him here, uh, to at least make this competitive. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that Khabib is going to absolutely smash him. Although I wouldn't rule that out either. So after all that, I've just kind of spit at you, Jeff, uh, does, did, did I bring up anything that you hadn't thought about or is there anything that I'm missing here? uh that that you've been thinking about yeah it's interesting that you mentioned khabib striking which yeah it has improved but khabib throws his punches at really weird angles they're like 
looping shovel hooks, I guess is the only way to describe it. But Bill, um, I think that's something that Holloway can exploit here is the fact that Nurmagomedov, whenever he strikes, he has his chin up way high. Um, and I think that if I think you, I think you do for a good point, and something I hadn't thought about is how good of a striker Holloway is. Uh, he's a really well-rounded fighter, but I think that his striking is probably a little bit better than Nurmagomedov's. And I think that if he can catch him clean on that chin, if it's way up in the air, I think that it changes the dynamic of this a little bit. And I think, all right, you're, I think you're starting to win me over here, Bill. I'm starting to get a little bit more excited for this fight. Yeah, this is, a, it, it's a very interesting matchup. Like when I first heard it, I thought, oh no, six days notice coming off an injury. They're leading a lamb to slaughter. But then I started thinking about, you know, he's got nothing to lose here. And that's the most dangerous kind of fighter to get in there with. Uh, and, it, you know, maybe that will put some pressure on Khabib. And you're right about Khabib striking. Khabib throws strikes basically to close the distance and get his hands on guys. Um, the way he grapples doesn't leave him susceptible to, like, flying knees and things of the sort uh, because uh, he goes for more body lock takedowns. Uh, he goes really high up. He's not shooting low for for single legs or or for you know blast doubles or anything like that. He gets a hold of the body. He buries his head in your chest and he's he drags you to the ground, uh, which is a really interesting style that a lot of guys don't know how to deal with. And then he drowns you once he gets you to the mat. Um, you know, I've heard stories of, of Khabib in the gym with high-level grapplers who said that they felt like white belts because they could just do nothing against him, and that's a scary thing. Uh, but you know, he I I believe that Khabib also has like a Mike Tyson effect. You know, guys are so afraid of his grappling that they lose sight of their game plan. So, and, and a lot of that comes from the pressure and the buildup of the fight. You know, they start overthinking getting taken down, and that's why him coming in winging punches. Uh, is actually effective. That's why it worked against uh, Barbosa because Barbosa was thinking about the takedown. So if Holloway is confident and he's able to just throw straight punches right down the pipe when Khabib comes in swinging wild, uh, you know maybe that maybe that's the recipe. But then again, nobody has come close to figuring out this recipe. Uh, you know we saw Khabib get rocked by Michael Johnson in the first round of their fight, and uh, th that's the closest. Uh, we've seen to uh, mortality in Khabib. Uh, now, he he did struggle earlier in his UFC career. I, I brought up the Gleison Tebow fight. So Gleison Tebow took down Khabib twice in that fight, and Khabib wasn't able to get him down. And he, he still won a decision, but, uh, you, you know, he struggled there. Now, I think he's figured out how to adapt his grappling abilities more to MMA since then. So I wouldn't use that as any kind of measuring tape whatsoever. Um, but you know, Max Holloway does, you know, he has a lot of length. So if he can keep Khabib at a distance, keep his back off the cage and, and, and work a jab and, and get Khabib frustrated in there to where he's making mistakes and leaving that chin up. Uh, he, you know, we've seen that, he does have, he does have a chink in his armor with that chin. 
uh, and when Michael Johnson let his hands go and connected, um, it, you know, it did some damage. So, uh, any any other thoughts on this fight here, Jeff, or this whole fucking shit show? I'm, uh, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to suppress it, Jeff, because I know, <laughs> I know, I said we're going to be positive here, but fuck. Every now and then it slips in. And I remember we lost the fight of the century for the fourth time. Son of a bitch. All right. So back to back to Holloway and Khabib. Uh, so what are your other thoughts on this fight? Yeah, dude, Bill, I think Khabib's um, bottom game is really underestimated here because he creates scrambles. He uses uh, butterfly hooks every now and then to create those scrambles. And He's very active off his back. Um, you know, the few times we've seen him there, I've seen him going for arm bars, going for triangles. I mean, Khabib, I think his ground game is has a depth that people don't understand because they haven't seen it. And, Bill, we've both, you know, we've both been training jiu-jitsu for a while now. And, Bill, there are guys that you don't see their game off their back because their top game is so good, so you never get them there. But those, those are the guys you got to be afraid of because um, a lot of those guys, they they might have just a couple of sweeps, just some way to get back on top. And honestly, that's enough. But with Khabib, there's so much more depth to it, man. He's not afraid to be on his back. He he can create, like I said, he can create scrambles. He goes for submissions. I, I think Khabib's dangerous, man. But I think that, if Holloway can keep it standing, which I, I think he can, I think his takedown defense is stellar. And, dude, I think we have a really interesting fight. I think it's whoever can implement their uh, game plan, their fighting style the most is going to win this fight. And, honestly, I, I think it's a toss-up, actually. Now now that you you know went through everything, and I, the more I think about it, the, the more I, I start to favor Holloway in terms of, how evenly matched this is because yeah. dude i think it's kind of a coin toss you know holloway has nothing to lose like you said yeah yeah you can't count the guy out who who's coming in with nothing to lose that's the most dangerous uh fighter you could put in there uh i great point about khabib's grappling too because he kind of markets himself as this russian sambo uh world champion which he is and Sambo is all about the top game. For those of you who don't know what Sambo is, it's basically like judo with striking. They wear a judo gi top and wrestling shoes, and it, it's about upper body takedowns and then beating the shit out of your opponent once you have them on the ground. Uh, Sambo fighters are not known for submitting off their back uh it, it's just not part of the art so while he kind of puts himself out there as a sambo fighter he also has a wrestling background and he also trains jujitsu he has a very complete grappling game uh so don't be fooled by the whole uh you know sambo thing and think that he's only a top game grappler uh that's just kind of what he wants you to think you know a, a smart fighter is going to make you think that they only have one tool that you need to worry about 
you know, until you put them on their back and they're throwing up triangles and arm locks and, and everything like that. And I think that's what Khabib does. And I think, I think he's a lot smarter about it uh, than he gets credit for. Uh, and, and you and I have both, both seen that, that he is crafty off of his back. He's very complete grappler and, uh, probably, uh, you could argue he's the best grappler or the scariest grappler in the UFC up there with Jocko Ray. Um, you know, people always bring Damian Maya into the conversation. And of course he's an excellent grappler, but he's not a scary kind of grappler. He's not looking to hurt anybody. You know, Zachary is looking to rip your limbs off and Khabib is looking to smash your face in. He doesn't even want to make you tap. He just wants to make you suffer for 15 or in this case, 25 minutes. So something we didn't touch on, Jeff, is that this fight is going to be for the undisputed lightweight championship, which means two things. When the bell rings, Conor McGregor is no longer going to be the lightweight champion, which we kind of had an inclination that that was going to happen anyway even though this fight was billed as an interim fight, an interim title fight, uh, it's billed ahead of an actual title fight, which tells me that they planned on making it undisputed championship all along. And it also says that Tony Ferguson, because of his unfortunate freak accident is also being stripped of his interim championship. Uh, which I, I feel like is not being talked about very much. Uh, a lot of people are were so concerned about Conor McGregor being stripped, and um, I, I think the UFC did this the smart way in that they leave Conor McGregor's championship alone until the bell rings on this fight and then say that the winner is the undisputed champion, and hey, Conor, if you want to dispute it, you got to get back in the cage. So that was the UFC's leverage tool to do that. They don't want to just strip Connor because you know, that, that just causes waves that, that they don't need and, and actually wouldn't give them as much leverage. Now, once they have an actual champion crowned, because you also could have, they could have stripped Connor and then something like this could have happened where one of these guys pulled out, but it could have happened closer to the fight. Then you're fucked. Then you have no champion and you have a vacant title, which is really bad. So they have to wait until the bell sounds to strip Connor. But the thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is that Tony Ferguson has been stripped of his interim championship, which I believe this is a first. I don't know that for sure. Uh, I haven't had time to look it up, but I don't think anybody has been stripped of an interim title before. Very few guys have been stripped uh, of a title at all. Um, so what are your, what are your thoughts on all of this, Jeff? Do, does stripping McGregor at, at the bell Saturday night make sense to you the way I explained it? And what do you think about Tony Ferguson being stripped of his interim title? Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think that Conor McGregor being stripped, I mean, makes sense. Um, he hasn't defended his belt in over 500 days or something. Um, he hasn't defended a belt ever. Uh, even before he went into the UFC. So I, I think it's it's good for business. I think that it also kind of gives Connor this um, reason to come back. And even if he chooses not to, say for money or whatever it may be, you know, then the fans are going to get on him a little bit. Uh, I think that his aura of invincibility kind of uh, goes away and it makes him 
seem a little bit more like um, mortal, I guess. And also, I think it gives the UFC some leverage here um, in terms of contracts and stuff. But as for Tony Ferguson getting stripped of the interim belt, I mean, I've never really considered the interim champion the actual champion. Um, and, you know, I, I was kind of up in the air about what was going to happen. I was I was thinking, you know, are there going to be two interim champions? If that's the case, do all three champions fight each other at the same time? Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know, dude. Um, I don't really feel one way or the other about Ferguson getting stripped because regardless, whoever, if, Regardless, even if the fight with Khabib didn't happen, he'd still have to fight McGregor for the actual belt, uh, for the undisputed belt. So as far as I'm concerned, he wasn't really the lightweight champion. I've always thought of the interim belt as like a placeholder. Like you're just here until the actual champion comes back. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think I don't think it's worth crying over spilled milk here, Bill. Yeah, it it got to be like being the number one contender wasn't enough. Like they had to give you a belt to guarantee that you would get the real title shot. And uh, I'll tell you something else that I've been thinking about, Jeff. I think Conor McGregor, uh, you know, we don't talk about him too much on, on this show because he hasn't been fighting. We really only discuss issues with active fighters. I don't talk about uh, any of the antics or, or Twitter uh, Twitter battles or or anything anything of that nature unless it's like really ridiculously funny but Conor McGregor has a lot more leverage uh, than a lot of people realize so for those who are celebrating uh, Conor getting stripped on Saturday uh, consider this point Conor McGregor is probably the reason that the UFC contacted Max Holloway first and I'll explain it this way. There are plenty of lightweights who could have stepped up to fight Khabib. Now, I'm sure a lot of people don't want to fight Khabib on six days notice, but you've got Dustin Poirier training for a fight against uh, Justin Gaethje. He's in shape, in camp, probably ready to go, probably could have made weight easier. Why didn't the UFC contact Dustin Poirier? Probably because Conor McGregor has knocked him out. Eddie Alvarez is another one who probably could have stepped in there and faced Khabib. Uh, why didn't the UFC contact Eddie Alvarez? Because he got blasted by Conor McGregor in the first round. And if Poirier or Alvarez were able to get past Khabib, those fights aren't enticing enough to bring Conor back. And stripping him of his title wouldn't be enough leverage for them. Now, Max Holloway has also been beaten by Conor, but... That was before winning 10 or 11 fights in a row, winning a championship, winning a featherweight title that was taken from Conor McGregor, and then winning, if he beats Khabib, winning a lightweight title that was taken from Conor. So not only does he do the same thing Conor did, hold two belts simultaneously, he holds the same two belts, and he holds them, he holds them right after Conor did. So Conor gets stripped of the featherweight title, Max wins it. Conor gets stripped of the lightweight title, Max wins it. Now you have a marketing ploy here. Now you have 
you know, some bait on the line to get McGregor back into the cage, which, you know, if you're the UFC, that's what you want because he's your biggest cash cow right now. If Khabib wins, you still have that leverage because, uh, you know, fighting an undefeated fighter to get your title back, uh, that's enticing. But if you throw a Poirier in there or you throw an Eddie Alvarez in there and they get past Khabib, I don't care if they cut a promo of a lifetime, uh, it's not going to be enough to even stop Connor from changing the channel uh, if you're watching at home. Uh, so in my opinion, that's why Max Holloway was the first one who was called because you have a storyline there. They fought together before. Uh, Connor has showed some interest in giving Max a, a, a rematch. Um, Max is one of the only fighters to to not be finished by Connor. Uh, you know, since he went on his streak of popularity, you know, it was just him and Nate Diaz. Basically, I think we're the only ones that Connor wasn't able to finish. Um, so there's there's my thought on why Max Holloway got this call. And from what I understand, he was the first choice to replace Tony Ferguson. And I think it's for the reasons uh, that I listed there. So uh, have I presented anything that you didn't think about here, Jeff? Uh, am I onto something, do you think? Yeah, Bill, I think it's a Vince McMahon-style promo here. Um, I forgot. I was listening to Chael Sonnen on Chris Jericho's podcast. Chris Jericho is one of my favorite pro wrestlers just because he's got his hand in everything. He has a band. He has his podcast. And <clears throat> excuse me. And they were talking about how McMahon could sell a fight against a champion and a mop if you gave him enough time. And Bill, I think this is some Vince McMahon level planning here. If this all goes down the way you say it can, I think it's awesome. I think it puts uh, Conor McGregor in kind of a more of a protagonist role. Because um, usually he's the antagonist. He's the guy knocking on the door, you know, ripping up photos and saying, you know, come fight me and all that. You know, if you're the champion, I want the belt and all that. So I think it puts McGregor in more of a good guy situation here, um, which I, I think he can play the role. Um, he's dynamic enough. So I, I think this is a really interesting turn here. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think no matter who wins, whether it's Nurmagomedov or Holloway, and Holloway has both belts. I think either one is a really enticing fight against McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people were saying too, like, you know, why isn't Connor stepping up and taking this fight? Uh, there, there's not enough money to bring him to the table right now. There's just not, uh, but I find the marketing chess match that's going on between Connor and the UFC to be really fascinating. And uh, you know how I always enjoy breaking down the marketing side of things, Jeff, uh, just because it's, it's just the way my brain works. And it's really interesting kind of trying to predict why the UFC is doing what they're doing, why Connor is doing what he's doing, uh, et cetera. And it, it's going to be really cool to see how this thing plays out. So as disappointed as I am, uh, there's still a lot to look forward to here. And I think this is still a really exciting division and it has the potential for a lot of drama and a lot of great fight matchups. I mean, like I said, we have, we have Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje coming up in a couple of weeks. That's, 
that's a fucking awesome fight. And then on this same fight card Saturday night, we have Anthony Pettis and Michael Chiesa. That's a really interesting matchup. So speaking of which, let's let's get into the rest of this card, Jeff, because you know, we talked about it lightly. This is a really amazing card. And it, it got overshadowed by the main event because that was such a huge fight. And I I think it's uh I think it's <laughs> I think it's hard to um I think it's hard to get past that, but I think we should because first of all, we have a rematch of strawweight champions in Rose Namajunas and Yoani and Jacek, which nobody's even talking about this fight. This is a phenomenal fight. Uh, Yoani and Jacek seemed uh, completely unbeatable and untouchable uh, up until Rose Namajunas starched her in her last fight. And you know, a couple of uh, a couple of events led them to, to uh, having a rematch. So Yoani and Jacek loves fighting in New York. Uh, because of the big Polish population, uh, Rosnam Yunus seems completely unfazed by any momentum uh, Joanna has. I know Rose has had some personal issues in her life uh, for a lot of years, and supposedly she's past those now, and she believes that that's the key to her success inside the cage. What are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Do you see it going down the same way? Do you see Joanna uh, having a better game plan? Uh, what do you think is going to go on here? Bill, that's a great question, and I honestly have no idea. Um, but I think that Joanna is going to come in with a different mentality. I think that, excuse me, I think that pressure of uh, being unbeaten and having the most um, title defenses in women's MMA history, I think that that's all off her shoulders now. I think we're going to see, <clears throat> excuse me, a more relaxed Joanna. I think that. Um, she still has the advantage on on the feet. You know, she may have gotten knocked out in the last fight, but I still think that you can never count her out on the feet. I mean, she's won, what, like 16 Muay world titles. Um, I, can't, I don't remember the exact number, but it's something ridiculous. And her ground game is pretty solid defensively. She's she's a hard person to take down. She's a hard person to, to keep on the ground. Uh, she has a really mean sprawl. So, Bill, I think that Joanna can't be considered the underdog in this fight. I think that Rose still has a really tough road ahead of her in this fight, and but I can't. I'm not counting her out either. I think that her skill has developed ever since she lost the Ultimate Fighter main uh, finale against Carlos Esparza. I think she's grown as a fighter and as a grappler. I think that overall she's very well rounded. But Bill, this is a this is another toss-up, man. I, I really don't know how to call this one. Yeah, so it's interesting. It, it'll be interesting to see how Joanna bounces back from a loss. I think that's that's the biggest X factor here. And a lot of people talk about Joanna striking, and she does have phenomenal striking. She has excellent technique. She doesn't have a lot of power, and not a lot of women do in this division, but Rose Namajunas does. And Joanna has felt it. So now Joanna has in her head that this woman beat me for the first time uh, in my career. And she put my lights out. And she has the ability to do it again. Does Joanna have the ability to knock out Rose? Yes. 
she does, but it I don't think it's as likely. I think Rose has a lot more knockout power uh, in both her kicks and her hands. Uh, as far as striking technique, definitely I would give the advantage to Joanna. And as far as grappling technique, I would give the edge to Rose. But Joanna is really difficult to take down. So if Rose gets into trouble on the feet, will she be able to get Joanna down? Because I don't feel like she'll go for a takedown until she's in trouble. And then she's going to be working uphill. So this is a really interesting fight because Rose has the power and the grappling. Joanna has the technique and she has more experience in five round fights. Rose has never gone five rounds before. So uh, it, it definitely could be a toss up. There's a lot of factors at play here. Um, it, it, it's not as black and white as saying that Joanna is the better striker because we've seen that Rose has more power. Uh, and, and that's that's definitely a factor. And is she in Joanna's head? We don't know. Uh, is Joanna the kind of person who takes a loss and learns from it and comes back smarter and stronger and better and faster? Or is she the kind of person that lets it get in her head? That's what we're going to find out on Saturday night. And that's really interesting to me. Uh, any other thoughts on this one before we move on? No, I think you hit the nail on the head here. It's looking like a good fight. But, Bill, what else do you see that stands out to you on this card? Because I see a couple of good fights. I see Michael Chiesa versus Anthony Pettis. We've got Ally Kinta versus Paul Felder, which I have been praying for for a while now. And then in the prelims, we have uh, Kovalkiewicz versus Herrig. What do you think, Bill? Anything stand out to you? A lot of things stand out to me. Uh, definitely uh, Olivier Alben Mercier and Evan Dunham. This is uh, a, a really uh, a matchup that's really going to fly under the radar for a lot of people and probably won't even interest a lot of people after I talk about it because uh, this is two really high-level grapplers, and that's really interesting to me, really boring to a lot of people. But I'm really interested to see how that one's going to play out. Um, you know, Evan Dunham has been... Uh, a, a quiet soldier for the UFC for a long time. Uh, Olivier, Olivier Aubin Mercier is, has been like right on the cusp of being a breakout, uh, you know, main card fighter for a long time. He's had some really impressive performance performances and he submitted a lot of top level guys. Um, I see this one. Uh, I see their grappling kind of neutralizing each other and this, and this fight going the distance and it's probably going to bore the average fan, but uh, you know, as someone who loves a good grappling matchup, that really sticks out to me. And of course, Ally Aquinta and Paul Felder, uh, th this fight, it, this is one of those fights where it's like, I don't want either guy to lose because, uh, I, I like watching them both fight so much and I want to see them stay, uh, main card fighters and become main event fighters, uh, because they're both so exciting. I mean, I can't think of a boring fight that either one of them's ever been in. And they both have really sharp striking. Paul Felder is probably a little bit more well-rounded, but Ally Quinta has some of the best eyes uh, boxing-wise uh, in the division. And, you know, he's got a lot of anger behind him because the UFC won't pay him any bonuses. <laughs> but meanwhile, he's fighting Paul Felder, who is like, 
you know, the UFC has given him jobs <laughs> like doing commentary and stuff. So I love that. I love that kind of dichotomy there where you have the guy who, who's been banned from getting bonuses <laughs> versus the guy who gets the desk job. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if emotions play a factor, you have to give the advantage to Aya Quinta, but Paul Felder is definitely uh, the more well-rounded fighter, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think about uh, those two fights that I just pointed out, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I really like Aubin Mercier. He's a pretty well-rounded fighter. I I just I want to see a little bit more out of him. Like you said, I want to see him get into the main card. He's a really good fighter, and if you haven't seen him, go back and watch some of his fights. Um, I don't think he has too many bad performances or too many boring fights. But dude, this Paul Felder versus Ally Kinta, ah, dude, both of these guys are awesome finishers. I can see this being either KO of the night or fight of the night. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, both guys have been in bloody wars before. They're not afraid to get their hands dirty. You got uh, Long Island versus Philly. So, uh, you know, New York versus New York and Philadelphia, a lot of great uh, sports rivalries. So uh, two, two rivaling towns there. And uh, it's really interesting. You mentioned Carolina Kovokovic and Felice Herrig. Um, I, I would love to personally see Carolina Kovokovic rematch uh, Joanna. So maybe if Joanna loses and Carolina, uh, Carolina wins, uh, they could rematch in a non-title fight. That would be an awesome scenario. In my opinion, uh, Felice Herrig has been kind of on a tear lately. Uh, so it's kind of hard to deny her. She's been kind uh, you know, quietly sneaking up the rankings in this strawweight division. She's got four wins in a row strung together. Uh, her last fight was kind of if he against uh, Courtney Casey Sanchez, where they were just like flipping each other off and like really close decisions. But, uh, you know, in, in a division that's still relatively thin, uh, it's going to be pretty easy for, for somebody to move up the rankings here. So uh, Kovokovic and Herrig is a, is a very important fight on this card. And then um, Beck Rawlings and Ashley Evan Smith is, is actually a really interesting fight to me as well. Um, and, and you got Joe Lozon on this card. Uh, who doesn't love watching Joe Lozon fight? If you don't like a Joe Lozon fight, then you're not a fan of MMA. And he's in there against, uh, Chris Brutzmacher, which, uh, dangerous fight for Lozon because, you know, it, it's a much less known fighter. Um, he, he's, he's a tough, like strong grappler, uh, coming off of two losses though. Uh, and, Lozon is coming off of, I believe his last opponent was Clay Guida. Yeah, that nasty knockout from Clay Guida. That was uh, uh, back in November. Uh, so both of these guys have two losses in a row. So uh, I I don't think Lozon's career would be in jeopardy, but Grutzmacher might be fighting for his job here. Uh, I, I think that would be a safe bet. So, you know, that, that, that's a very interesting matchup. This is a really excellent card here, Jeff. And then we didn't even touch on Hinata Carnera against, uh, Calvin Cater. Uh, and, and that's, that's up there on the main card, which, you know, these are two, uh, much less known fighters, but really, really tough guys. Calvin Cater, uh, is, is really kind of infamous in the local MMA circuits. And then he made his UFC debut, against Andre Feely and then 
upset Shane Burgos, knocking him out in the third round in, in his last fight in January. So there's so much going on on this card, Jeff, and there's so much to talk about. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited for it. You know, UFC 223, if you're, if you were so bummed to the point where you said you're not even going to watch this card, you're going to be missing out on so much great MMA action. And, um, you know, I'm really glad that we're able to do this, Jeff, and we're able to talk, talk each other through this. And, and hopefully we change a couple of other minds out there because this is a fucking awesome card. And I'm still really excited for it. So we're going to take the high road and we're going to be positive here. So uh, did I say anything else uh, about these fights that piqued your interest? I know it was a little bit all over the place there. Yeah, dude, I'm really excited for Kovokovich versus Harry um, Mochano. Uh, Moisiano, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, versus Cater. I don't know too much about them, but I'll definitely check that out. Um, and there's a flyweight fight on here, Ray Borg versus Moreno. Meh. Which I'm kind of over <laughs> the flyweight division at this point. <clears throat> but, Bill, um, on the early prelims, there is um, Alex Caceres versus Artem Lobov. Oh, uh, Yeah. I'm actually really excited. I think Artem Lobov needs to prove himself. Uh, he has not been too impressive since coming over to the UFC. I know he's one of Conor McGregor's training partners. I, I think he needs to prove himself in this one. Yeah, I mean, he was knocking guys out on the Ultimate Fighter show, but um, you know, I couldn't name one of them. Uh, and he he showed some great uh, submission defense. Uh, you know. Uh, in his loss to Ryan Hall in the finale of that show. And Alex Caceres is a fun fighter. He's got some wacky striking. He'll probably stand and strike with Artem, um, which is a great recipe. I mean, neither of these guys have, have great records, but uh, they're never really in dull fights. Um, maybe the Lobov Swanson fight wasn't that interesting, but uh, you know, the, the guy does have one punch knockout power. He's shown that before. So that's always interesting. And then we got uh, probably the winner for most complicated uh, names to say. And there are a lot of them on this card. You know, you got Jan Jacek, Nami Yunus, Grutzmacher, Kavokovic, <laughs> Iaquinta. This is like, <laughs> this is a spelling bee nightmare. If you ask me to spell uh, all the fighters' names on this card, I don't think I could get half of them. But the opening fight is uh, Zabit Magomed Shapirov and Kyle Bokniak. Uh, this is actually a pretty interesting fight. Um, so I guess we're gonna we're gonna start start and finish uh, this card with with uh, some really uh, aggressive Dagestani wrestlers. So uh, Magomed Shapirov coming from the the same. Uh, same part of Russia as as Khabib, and he's kicking the card off. He's on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, ten fight win streak, uh, including two fights in the UFC. Uh, and Kyle Bokniak has been really active lately, so uh, that that's actually a really interesting fight. I, I'm looking forward to this card, uh, start to finish, with the exception of maybe the flyweight card. That's when I'll get up and uh, and get another beer. Uh, any final thoughts on this fight, Jeff? No, Bill. I think I think we've talked each other down off the ledge here. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually starting to get excited again for this whole card. Um, I, I had kind of forgotten the rest of the card. It was kind of eclipsed by 
Ferguson versus Khabib, but this overall is looking like a really exciting fight, but I'm still not paying to go see it live. Smart <laughs> <laughs> move. Hey, you know what? I would I would get on uh, StubHub if I were you. Maybe people got so pissed that they just put their tickets up for cheap. It's, a, it's worth taking a look at, and it's not too far from you. Uh, all right, so awesome card, UFC 223 from Barclay Center in Brooklyn, New York. I, I want to end the show, Jeff, with a shout-out because I received a gift uh, at, over the weekend from a fan of the show, and I texted you about this. Uh, he said he's my number one fan. I don't know if I believe him, but uh, <laughs> actually one of my one of my training partners at the gym here. So shout out to Paul. Uh, he uh, he got his hands on this bottle of of Jamaican rum, Appleton Estates, uh, aged twelve years. So uh, anything aged, I'm a fan of because that means it probably drinks like a whiskey. So I'm. I'm a fan of anything that drinks like a whiskey. So he got his hands on this, and Paul is a wine drinker. Uh, he gives me a lot of tips on on how to order wine and stuff like that. I, I do like a glass of red wine here and there, as you know, Jeff. I know you're not a wine guy, um, but if you ever decide to be one, uh, I know a guy who, who knows his stuff. So uh, I'm sipping on a little bit of this right now just to kind of take the edge off of uh, Ferguson pulling out. And uh, I, I think it, it helped kind of soothe me as we were talking here as well. I'm holding up the bottle for those of you watching on YouTube. I know uh, most of you are just listening to the podcast on on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever else. But you could see like the real dark, uh, really rich, like almost chocolatey color of this. Uh, and it's got like a brown sugar on the nose holding up a little glass of it now. So a lot of a brown sugar on the nose. It's got a, uh, a nice burn that goes up into your sinuses, but then it's got a smooth finish and it leaves like a little bit of caramel on the tongue, uh, a little, little bit of vanilla in there too. So it it's on the sweet side because it's a rum and, and rums are, are sugar based, uh, spirits. And I, I typically don't like things that are very sweet, but the sweetness is not overpowering, which is awesome. So uh, I'm really enjoying this, and uh, I'll have to save you a couple of sips of this for when you come down to visit, Jeff. So shout out to Paul. Thank you for the rum, my man. And uh, yeah, so that's it, Jeff. You you been drinking anything interesting over there, or or uh, you got anything planned for what you're going to be sipping on to uh, drown your sorrows before UFC 223? Uh, hits the airwaves here yeah um we were talking about guinness last week so i, I had to have one it was i think wednesday afternoon it was it was kind of chilly so it was a good morning for a guinness it's like 11 i was like oh. yeah, whatever. yeah irish breakfast yeah, hey it, it if it was 11 a.m it's like 4 p.m in ireland so it's almost five Maybe yeah. it is five. Is it a six-hour <laughs> difference? I don't know. This time change got me all messed up. In any case, Jeff, I think we got a lot accomplished today, and uh, I'm really excited for UFC 223. Uh, I can't say that enough. So we're taking the high road here. Uh, hopefully, we change some minds as well. So, uh, you know, reach out to us on social media. Let me know what you guys are thinking and drinking before this uh, awesome fight card takes place. If you want to get a hold of Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. 
And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere on the internet. Send me an email if you want, MMA on the Rocks at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.